0: You're listening to the CMB Podcast, session number seven. Welcome to the CMB Podcast, a podcast designed to serve people of faith who make music. If you're looking for practical and inspirational ideas to help you in your musical craft, then look no further. ChristianMusicBlog.com is all about helping you think differently about creativity through eyes of faith. As you learn how to establish healthy musical habits and disciplines, fueling your creativity and making you more prolific for the glory of God. And now your host, Nate Fancher. Hello and welcome to the seventh edition of the Christian Music Blog Podcast. I am Nate Fancher, your host, and I am thankful to be here. This is the seventh episode, and it's been about a month since I've launched this. I think it was back in March, mid-March, that the first session of the CMB podcast went live at iTunes. And um it's really, really cool to to do this again. And so I don't take this for granted. I, I really am thankful. And especially you guys who are subscribing and who are dialoguing with me over email. Thank you so much. And as I said in in one of my recent emails to you guys, I don't want to hog you. I don't want it to be just me talking to you, and you talking to me. So I have set up a Facebook group, and um, if you go to com slash session7, today's notes for this podcast, I will include a link to the Facebook group in the uh, bottom of the page, and you can request to join that way. Um, if you're listening for the first time and you have not signed up for our email list, just go to com, and you can sign up there, as well as take a gift that I am super excited about, And it's my way of saying thank you, practically, so I have something for you at freemusicgift.com. Actually, it's two things, but one thing in particular is really helpful if you are a songwriter. And in fact, we talk about it in today's conversation with Joe Day a little bit. Have you heard of Evernote? It's a great app that is for free, and it will keep you straight if you are a little disorganized and want to remember things. It's an awesome app, and I have been greatly served by it as a songwriter in the last couple of years, And um, in fact, I have developed what I call the Evernote songwriting method. It's taken some time. It's kind of been tweaked a little bit. But basically, I've kind of geeked out over coming up with my own way of keeping track of writing, um, keeping fresh, staying organized with my ideas, and also um, making sure that I'm crafting songs. And the way Evernote is built is perfect for this. So I have a PDF for you that you can go get at freemusicgift.com. And that PDF will explain in detail what the Evernote songwriting method is, how you can use it, and how it will affect your songwriting. Also, there's a little audio um, MP3 with that as well that really goes hand-in-hand with the PDF. So I'd love to hear from you. If you end up trying it out and it reinvigorates your writing, then um, please let me know. Just email me, and uh, that'd be awesome. So no more talking from me. I want to get right to the conversation that I was very honored to have with a great worship pastor out of Hill Church in Seattle. His name is Joe Day. Um, he's put out a record called Grace, which is available at iTunes and at his website, joedaymusic.com. Um, we talked about a lot of great things. I was personally really edified and encouraged by our conversation. So it's about 40 minutes long. And um, that's the great thing about podcasts. If you end up not having time to finish it right now, you can just pause it and then come back to it later. But, um, yeah, I know you will be served by it as well. So I want to get right to this conversation that I had with Joe Day on the 7th edition of the CMB Podcast. I'm here with Joe Day. He's a singer-songwriter, a pastor, uh, all-around good guy. I think his Twitter description says kitchen hack or something like that but um it does (laughs) man thanks so much for being with me on the podcast um as we get rolling here we're talking about songwriting we're talking about the craft of writing as well as um some philosophical stuff and i have a lot of questions for you about some of that so
1: sweet well let's uh let's get at them
0: cool i want to start by asking you first of all if you can tell us the story of the very first song you ever wrote (laughs) if you remember
1: I do vaguely remember it. Um, So uh, my parents raised me on a steady diet of Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Um, And I think I had ripped off pretty much just a a Crosby, Stills, Nash melody and put it to this really, really simple... uh, Guitar line because it was about the only thing I could play on the guitar, and uh, it must have been a verse and a chorus and nothing else. I don't remember the words. I remember the the melody, oddly enough. Um,
0: well, don't don't feel obligated to sing it unless you yeah, no, it. not. <laughs> and
1: uh, it was really like not only was it nothing special, it's probably something to never be remembered. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I seem to get that a lot from all these, these guys I'm talking to. Their their stories are all pretty similar. So, yeah. 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 Cool. So you were a younger guy then, I guess, but at some point you started to think more seriously about it. Why don't you just tell us your story, how you got started, and, and mm-hmm. when it became something that you knew you wanted to do in a more serious way?
1: Yeah. Writing actually, like, it's the funny part is I think the more serious I became about writing, the less interesting writing became um writing like i got into it um just it just seemed like the thing you do with a guitar you know like it's uh there's the guitar sitting there hey i'm learning how to play it and yeah it's kind of cool i can learn how to play like these nirvana songs i mean i grew up in the 90s nirvana was my favorite band i was listening to all the seattle grunge bands because that was the music that I was totally into. And it was a good time to get into guitar because the only thing you needed to play Seattle grunge was like three fingers and six strings. You didn't even need six strings as the presidents of the United States showed us. And, uh, <laughs> you know, really low bar, uh, low barrier of, of entry to learning how to play guitar. You know, power chords, mm-hmm. just mask all your imperfections with really nasty distortion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, like, yeah, the pedal companies were even creating, like, grunge distortion boxes and stuff. It was really a weird time. It was a great time. Um, yeah. And so I have – my parents had this old uh, – I still have this guitar. I used it on – it's on Grace. You'll hear it on the album. It's my guitar at home. It's kind of my go-to writing guitar. This old Gibson LGO. It's from the early 50s. And, um, you know, I just started – like I would come up, it wasn't hard for me to come up with like chord progressions and and things like that. And so the natural next step was a melody, and words. And um, I've always liked words. Uh, I've always been drawn to artists who are uh, lyricists and really consider the words that they write. And so um, I don't know all of those things. Like I, I was just really into music. I was really into. Uh, to artists who would write interesting words um i still can remember being like 11 or 12 years old and just listening to U2's joshua tree on my headphones my sony walkman
0: uh, tape player
1: um, over and over and over and over again and you know some of the words on that album just painted such vivid pictures for me and so i just thought that that was a really amazing thing and I never really cognitively said, yeah, I want to do that. It's just once I started playing guitar, it was like, okay, here's what you do. Yeah. And so um, so that's how I got into it. Um, mm-hmm. I actually, my first band, I was a drummer. My first couple bands, I was a drummer. I wasn't the lead guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as soon as I picked up guitar, I also picked up drums. I actually bought a drum set before I bought a guitar. And, um, and yeah, so it wasn't until later... Uh, you know, I was 19 or 20 the first time I actually led a band, mm. and cool. that was a frightening experience.
0: <laughs> so, and then um, fast forward, now you're a you're a pastor. You're a part of an awesome church planning network uh, doing worship every week for a, a campus at Mars Hill Church. And um, why don't you tell us how maybe you got into that in terms of the,
1: the mm-hmm. musical
0: artistic side of you you're all, you're already writing songs but um mm-hmm. all of a sudden you turn into a pastor what what happened there
1: yeah that's totally god's thing um <laughs> <laughs> i never intended to be a pastor i never intended to be a worship leader uh when i was younger i always thought worship leaders were people who couldn't musicians who couldn't make it in the world of music on their own merit <laughs> um and so uh god must have chuckled when he heard me say that um and uh so i was in a band um we were playing in a lot of church uh a lot of churches church environment youth groups rallies festivals those kinds of things um and uh, the band was doing well we had some good momentum we uh we we had some decent uh contract opportunities come our way um I went to this church uh, to finalize the details for a show, and um, and I just loved it. And I kept coming back. And I just, uh, over a period of time, I started to see that we were viewing our band as a ministry, but we weren't a part of any church. And so um, we didn't have a home. We didn't have any like we weren't attached to any leadership we weren't attached to any authority and on one hand it seems like oh well that's awesome because you have a ton of freedom you know like sweet you can do whatever you want and but on the flip side that's actually kind of scary um because you can you can do damage you know doing whatever you want especially if you're handling the bible and the word of god like interpretation there is a is you know yeah historical historically proven to be very challenging (laughs) (laughs) and without pastors around and without other people speaking into it you know you're really prone so I just felt at some point that we were actually out on a limb and at the same time I felt God welling up a desire in me to be a part of a local church and so Um, Even while the band was going well, we were on the verge of signing a big record contract. I actually just felt—I sat the band down one night and said, Guys, I feel like God's calling me to a local church. And um, that was uh, was a good meeting. It was a hard meeting. But that was, nevertheless, the decision and the direction that I started committing my life to. And so I did—I plugged in at a local church— it was a brand-new church plant. Um, I had no idea that Mars Hill even existed at that point in time. Mars Hill did exist at that time. This would have been 90, uh, 98. Um, and, uh, you know, I just knew that I wanted to, to, to be involved. And so it turns out that, that was one of the very first, if not the very first, Acts 29 church plant. Um, and uh, and that's how I got introduced to the world of Acts 29 and Mars Hill.
0: Oh, cool. So the church plant that you're talking about was an 829 church plant. It was. Cool.
1: Yeah. And so um, the thing that drew me to it, uh, it was actually, you know, it was a church, but it was primarily a college ministry, college age ministry. I was 21, 20, something like that at the time. Um, and so it, uh, you know, its just a lot of peers and people that, you know, or peers. There weren't a lot of. It wasn't diverse. I, I will say that there weren't weren't a lot of old people. The pastor was older than everybody by a measure of a few years, not a lot. <laughs> um, but it was a church plant, and here, here there was a church plant that really took um, art seriously. Took Jesus, well, took Jesus seriously. Took art seriously, and was really trying to communicate the gospel to uh, what I saw was actually you know kind of a marginalized. Uh, people group that you don't see in the church a lot and so to me that was something that was really, really compelling um, and so I just wanted to be a part of that and so um, I could sing, I could play I wrote songs, you know uh, I didn't even really intend to write songs that were like worship songs per se it was just like, I want to worship Jesus I'm a songwriter so I'm going to write You know, some some songs came out as worship songs and other songs didn't and so you know, just kind of sorted through them once, you're, once they were written. Um, and so over time, I started leading worship there. Uh, and then I became the worship pastor there. Um, and I was there for about five years before transitioning out and uh, starting to plug in at Mars Hill.
0: Cool. That's awesome. So um, I'd love to talk a little bit about how how your writing looks now as as a pastor and and ha- if that's changed or maybe it hasn't changed i mean you just said a second ago that you know you ju- you were just writing and mm-hmm. um you worship jesus and you write songs and sometimes it works out to be a quote unquote worship song sometimes it's it's not how does that look when you write songs are you thinking about that kind of a thing or, or are you just sitting down and writing tell us about that
1: yeah when i say worship song there's a bunch of definitions that uh, that come with it. Um, I think, in one sense, you can say every song is a worship song, like it's celebrating, or uh, describing, or you know, it's working through something. And unless it's, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think they all indicate where the heart of the writer is or isn't, and what they're interested in, what they what they're worshiping. Right. right. Uh, so, in a broad sense, you can say every song is a worship song, but. When I say worship song for the sense of uh, for when God's people gather uh, to offer their affectionate praise to him, that's a different thing altogether. Mm -hmm. And so um, what we hold dear at Mars Hills, a worship song should be primarily uh, Christ centered. Um, They should be congregationally. Uh, written. So in other words, like the melody and the meter are things that are designed for particip participa <laughs> I can't say this participation. Yeah, Participatory. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Um, and for people to, you know, that they can latch onto. Like if you're going like super, you know, progressive uh, Mars Volta, you know, style, then what you're gonna do is, you know, maybe something very interesting to listen to and to watch, but it's not going to be something that necessarily like draws people into participation. You know, Mm -hmm. we want our desires that people experience Jesus, then the music needs to be designed in such a way as to facilitate that. So that's what I mean by worship song. So when I was first starting, A, I couldn't have articulated that when I was first starting. All I knew is that I would write a song and I would say, I kind of look at it when it was over and be like yeah I think this I think people can sing along with this or I think you know it might work or be like no this is definitely too abstract or too you know um, too whatever and you know I'd probably use it in my my other band Um, Mm -hmm. you know I'd be curious to hear how the Page CXVI people uh, deal with that Um, Page CXVI versus Autumn Film for me it was you know Church versus my old band uh, Mindhead and so um yeah, literally I'd make that decision afterwards. I so I, I wasn't sitting down to write a corporate worship song. I was sitting down to say something and express something. Um and if that was going to be useful in the congregation was something that was measured when it was all over.
0: Mm. That's awesome. So okay, so you're saying, and, and I, lo- I love this. You are making a distinction between songs that are sung congregationally and songs that are sung at a, at a rock show. Um, however, I, I mean, just the question that comes to mind is: so you're sitting down and you're thinking about particulars when you do when you're making those distinctions. And uh-huh. what is fascinated about what has fascinated me about what you guys are doing at Morris Hill is is you're not jumping on the the, the bandwagon that most people are, are jumping on. I'm not, I don't want to name any names or point fingers because i think god's using all kinds of different styles mm-hmm. but you're really just being yourself and and um so the, the so it, what i'm trying to get at is is where does that where does that line get drawn i know it's probably different for every every community mm-hmm. but um are, are there or, or are there particulars that are pretty much the same everywhere does, does that make sense so so like those distinctions are are kind of like here's the line this is congregational, this is not. Do uh-huh. you know what I mean? Uh-huh. uh-huh. Well, for us, um,
1: where we've chosen to draw that line is um, we're very um, honest with the reality that we choose to pursue clarity over creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, um, you know, that's always going to be a, a point of, of tension and struggle for anyone who's an artist. Yeah. Um, and for us, I think it's, uh, you know, if you read like Paul in uh, in 1 Corinthians, and he talks about giving up his freedom for the sake that other people may experience Jesus. And I think this is the artistic way of doing that. So it's not that you think less of creativity. It's that you're employing creativity by putting your freedom in creativity uh, by submitting that to Christ so that many may be able to experience him. Does does that make sense? Absolutely. Um and exactly. and so we um we definitely hold that as a as a high value. Um and so you know when it comes to the lyrics, um you're gonna see very Christ centered lyrics. You're going to see um you know uh you're you're going to see songs that are packed full of substance that don't leave things kind of vague and hanging in the air, but mm. you will see resolve, you know. And again, the reason for that is that when we gather as the church, we are we are um, one body joining together our voices in a particular direction, and that is towards Jesus Christ. And we are responding to the great thing that he's done on our behalf on the cross. And so... Mm. You know when that is the idea, then you don't really want to leave much to abstraction, and you don't really want to leave much to um uh to you know what do they what do they mean by that you know, like yeah uh, we try and avoid basic word you know basic kind of buzz phrases that sound good but don't actually um, really say much um you know, we try and be very, very intentional with the words that we do craft, and and really make sure that we're pointing people to Jesus. Because the the other the flip side of that is the people. At least in Mars Hill, we have a ton of people who are unchurched, and we have a ton of people who they they didn't grow up in the church. They don't understand church language. They don't understand like Christianese. They don't they don't understand the things that you and I might just take for granted because we're a part of that culture. And so, um. You really like. If that's the case, you know, man, we just want those people to know Jesus. We want them to see Jesus. We want them to experience Jesus to experience His love and grace. Um, We don't want them to be confused as to what it is that we're doing and why we're doing it.
0: Mm -hmm. That's good. Uh, Yeah, it's it's very good because I could see some might hear certain things like 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 the clarity over creativity thing. Some might argue that, well. It's nice to leave some people hanging because they're they're seeking they want to find out more you don't mm-hmm. want to answer all their questions and mm-hmm. I've heard people even say that kind of a thing um, but but really it sounds like when you're saying that correct me if I'm wrong here but you're you're almost addressing the church, the very church songs that we've been singing most of the time that seem to be a little bit unclear um I guess an example i I, I don't want to pick on any songs but I'm just trying to think of some examples of songs that might just have a lot of Worshipy, uh, for lack of a better word, worshipy—I just made that up. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know these clichés that that um, that everybody kind of might think they know what it means, or, or they might have their own interpretation, but it's not always as clear. And so your mm-hmm. songs are actually reaching out more to lost people than um, than some of the other stuff. I love that clarity over creativity. That's very good. Um, Music through the eyes of faith is a book I've been reading, and that mm-hmm. he really just unpacks that whole reality so well, I think. Yeah. um, Is that John frame? Uh, no, that's Harold best. That's best. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Really good stuff. We love Harold best. Yeah. So I love that. So now let me ask you this though. Um, clarity over creativity in a corporate worship setting. I totally get that. I love that. But what do you say to a band? Um, they're all believers and they're, and they really do have a ministry just writing songs that are really reaching a particular audience definitely, you know, trying to reach unsaved folks, is it the same thing? Is it clarity over creativity in that circumstance as well?
1: Uh, it doesn't have to be. Um, at some point though, uh, the message, you know, like the, you're going to want the message to come through, but Generally, like, the way I view it is is this. Like, in in the context of corporate worship, there should be no surprise that we have certain limitations. We're not there to just celebrate art, for instance. Like, if that's the only thing that we're doing, then I I think that, you know, well, it'd be good to go read, you know, the the first few chapters of the book of Revelation. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And get some some good reminders as to what we're doing.
0: Yeah, music through the eyes of faith, and he really tackles that whole issue. It's just... yeah when I read that I was so served by it. I mean, it's good. Yeah.
1: And again, it's not that art is somehow lesser. It's that we gather for a different reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, I'm not against art. I love art. Um, I am very appreciative of man, the the vast history of art, especially in music, um, that, uh, communicates to us in different ways and personal ways. And, you know, so anyways, I, I don't need to like go on a thing about why art is valuable. Art is valuable. Yeah. Um, in, in the church, art should be valued. Um, in the context of a congregational, um, worship service, uh, really what we're saying is that we value Jesus higher than everything else. And so everything falls in line Behind Jesus. Now, if you're a band that's playing out in a club in the city, and you're, you know, like, it all depends then on what your convictions are for what it is that you're actually trying to accomplish. Yeah. And I think that's where those decisions would want to be made. Um, one thing that I loved early on, you know, was being able to play a club on Saturday night with my band and be as abstract as we wanted, and then lead worship on Sunday. And be as Christ focused as we could possibly be. Um, those two things were very different from each other, but they actually taught they taught us how to each one taught us how to operate in that other environment. So leading worship in the church teaches you generally like how to arrange music in ways that people respond. Well, that's actually really helpful when you're out in the club. Mm. you know vice versa. you can do things out in the club that you can't necessarily like you know, I don't think the church, should be a a place for um, the primary place for musical experimentation. I think that you should have a, like, you know, you should have a studio, or you should have a space where you can really work things out and then you, you know, very intentionally bring them into a worship service. Mm -hmm. So being able to play in venues that aren't the church, that are clubs and bars and things like that, festivals, it allows you to experiment with different things um, and really, like, elevate your your skill in arranging and writing in a way that is super helpful for mm-hmm. what you, how you write and arrange for the church. So that's cool. I think both are really important.
0: Yeah. And it's, and it's not as though you're you know, Like I love how you said how you said it, you're putting in a corporate worship service, Jesus is over everything else. That's what it's yeah. all about. I mean, but it's not as though that's not the case when you go out into a club, it's the same idea. Jesus is still for you as a believer. He's the, he's your number one all the time. And yeah, it and I and I think it's just a matter of the context that you are in in that moment, the space that you're in. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Very good, very good. I'd love to um, touch base on set the, the practical side of of songwriting and how you actually are writing nowadays. Um, you put out Grace, your your full length record. Was that two years ago now, or was that a year and a half yeah. ago? Well,
1: that was two and a half years yeah, ago.
0: That's, time flies i remember when it first came out i mean it was it was awesome and yeah yeah so, time flies. Are, well i actually have to ask um are you working on anything new
1: um, i'm not primarily working on anything new right now uh, my uh my realm of pastoral leadership has me overseeing worship at two churches right now so mars hill shoreline and mars hill everett and so okay. my primary focus is really just working with leaders training leaders and you know um really pouring into other worship leaders in addition to leading worship. So my plate is super full right now and writing does not occupy a a huge part of it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: That said, um, I'm always writing. I, uh, Evernote is probably the most useful tool in my songwriting these days. Um, you know, cause for me, a lot of songwriting happens when I'm doing something else. It's a, like I've found that it, You know, writing songs, uh, has a, um, I don't know. It comes out when I'm passively engaged oftentimes. And so, uh, you know, I'll just be doing something and then a melody will come to me and be like, Oh wow, that's a hook. And so having my phone right there with Evernote, boom, I sing it in there and I have a whole notebook of song ideas in my Evernote account that has literally hundreds of little snippets of things that I've recorded over the last few years. Um, and so I suppose when the time comes, I will start there and just start working through it. And it's um, really, awesome.
0: Yeah. I love Evernote. I'm a big Evernote fan. I, I I remember when I first came across it, it changed the way I think about songwriting. Mm-hmm. I think the way you said it was so brilliant. Like you passively, you're, so you're in these other moments that have nothing to do with you're your sitting down to write a song, you know? You're not. Mm-hmm forcing yourself to do this thing, but these moments of inspiration come whenever they want. And that's the beauty of Evernote is you're able to capture anything anywhere. Absolutely. And then you can just show up on your desktop one day when you schedule some time to, to write and you just pick up where you, where you left off. And so I love that the Evernote songwriting method. That's what I always call it.
1: <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. Evernote. That yeah, was that's for right. free.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. I, was at, uh, I did an interview with a guy named Matt McCoy um, and we talked about Evernote as well, but um, very cool. Um okay, so actually, about your particular songwriting process, let's kind of dig deep a little bit more there if we can. yeah, you use Evernote, so you have a great idea you got a hook, you put it in your in your mobile device or whatever you have. Do you schedule something on your computer and you go back and then you craft what's the crafting process look like for you-hmm
1: well um, that's a that's a good question uh the Evernote pouring into crafting process um is not something that you know like like I was saying like I've got a few years worth of stuff in Evernote and I haven't over the last few years really spent a ton of time taking those things and crafting them so right now I'm just basically putting pennies in the bank um Mm. before Evernote um really what I would do uh (laughs) we had Different tools. Voicemail was one I would use a lot. Cool. I'd actually call Seth, my drummer, and sing into his voicemail. It was always annoying <laughs> when he actually picked up the phone, right. be like, "No man, let it go to voicemail. I gotta, I gotta sing this right now." <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And um, but then, so what I would do is, I I would basically sit down and work out the whole song. So, uh, you know, I'd write the verse. Um, oftentimes, what'll happen is, I'll write. You know, if a song has three or four verses, I'll try and write ten or twelve verses. Um, and really try and hash out the various movements of the idea um, and then whittle it down, choosing from 12 verses to go down to four verses and pick the best four that really hone the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so the principle there is just write a lot. You know, like if you get four verses, you're like, sweet, I've got a song here. It's like, no, you have four verses. Keep mm-hmm. writing.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so that's. That's one thing that I've done. Uh, generally, I've done some co-writing, but I haven't done a ton of co-writing, and I haven't seen my co-writes really be that effective. The one exception to that is the song Death to Life, which is the first song on Grace. Uh, it's also the song that's on the, uh, the Mars Hill Music Sampler that's out on Tooth and Nail right now. Um, and I wrote that with Nate Garvey, who's also a, a worship director here at Mars Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, and But really, as far as co-writing goes, it has... It's just having that's not really my sweet spot my sweet spot has been more um, sitting down and just writing in solitude and, mm-hmm. and working working it out that way
0: that's really interesting I, co-writing seems to be kind of the rage right now a lot of writers just rave about you know co-writing and I think mm-hmm. I actually heard you talk about it was similar to what you just said at the you know at Ford, at the forge conference that where we met um, you were talking about how that that just something that that's that's never really. Uh, been your thing, and and I kind of connected with that. Not that I don't believe co-writing is is uh, a good thing. I mean, I think it's awesome, and actually, I would like to talk a little bit more about that with you. But it seems like for me, I, my experience has always been just, hey, I got a guitar, I'm going to just write because I'm just some lonely guy in a room. You know, I'm going <laughs> to express mm-hmm. myself to God and or, or or whatever, and and it was just a a more natural way for me to write songs. But I mean, you you work with bands. So, um, it's not exactly a traditional co-write, especially like a Nashville co-write, if we want to call it that. Right. Um, But you're being creative with other people. And so you're in a, you're in a great community where there are a lot of folks contributing to that. Um, does that count or is that not the same thing?
1: No, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit different. So the way that it's typically worked for me is that I'll basically come with the blueprints of the song, um, and then... You know, I'm more like the architect, and then the band are like the builders. Um, and so, uh, I bring it to the band, and we start to work out the arrangement. And you know, uh, oftentimes, what I envision when I write is not what happens when you know we actually start building the song. So it is, you know, it's a, it's a little bit different of a process. Some bands, I was just reading the other day, a band called Local Natives. It sounds to me like they're you know completely egalitarian in how they they work through their songwriting process everyone is involved in it Mm -hmm. everyone has equal say Mm -hmm. um and those songs which are great songs um come from a place of you know uh, total collaboration Mm -hmm. um for me it's just never i don't for whatever reason i don't feel like i work very well in that environment and so Mm -hmm. it's kind of the the arena of solitude um where I'm working out kind of the ideas and the lyrics and the it just helps me to focus on lyric writing when I'm not having a conversation <laughs> with other people interesting yeah um, and so yeah that's, that's cool uh, that's primarily so I you know I'll sit down I'll pen out the song um, and then take it to the band and we'll we'll build it from
0: there okay very cool well that's interesting yeah it seems like you mentioned um, Death to Life was a co-writer um, mm-hmm. Is this person that? What was his name again? I'm sorry.
1: His name's Nate Garvey.
0: Yeah. He's, he, so are the two of you are probably pretty close buddies. You probably hang out. I don't know. Um, he's down in West Seattle now,
1: so we don't see each other that much. But yeah, we, well, we, we, were, we were buddies.
0: Okay. Well, what, I, what I'm actually getting at here is is that it seems like some of the best co-writes that I've heard other people do are ones that they play together. They're in the, they're in the band, like you mentioned that that band, or. Or they're just really close friends, and so mm-hmm. it's just more natural. Like mm-hmm. it, it's birthed out of true community. The the the, yeah. the old let's just show up with some other guys who are on the publishing thing, and let's just write a song. Like we have to crank it out. You know that. I wonder if right. that's the thing that that just seems to be not very good for guys like you and me. I mean, I I hear what you're saying. So
1: yeah, I, I, I'm I'm not sure. I, I honestly, I, I haven't done a ton of both, of either of those scenarios. So, but. I will say, when Nate and I wrote that song, we didn't actually know each other that well. We'd we'd recently met. He moved to the area. I wanted him to uh, come and be a part of a songwriting retreat that we had done. And so, um, you know, it just so happened that, you know, he had, uh, I think he had the first verse. And, you know, we just kind of, anyways, we just tweaked. It's awesome. It worked. Yeah.
0: Cool. Um, You work with a lot of bands. You, you you um you're working with a lot of musicians um songwriters um can you just tell the listeners here some of the stuff that's coming up? you mentioned tooth and nail records earlier um what's coming yeah. out soon?
1: yeah, it's an exciting time at Mars hill um for myself, having been a part of Mars Hill for a long time and knowing that at various times we've wanted to get our music and our message out um But we've never fully been able to, you know, get momentum behind doing those things. Even, I mean, even within that, my album came out before we really have a lot of momentum moving in in that direction. Um, But this year, there's some great things. So so we did recently sign um, a contract with Tooth & Nail. uh, And Tooth & Nail is going to put out four albums this year. And those four albums are um, Citizens, which comes out next week. I think comes out on the 5th. Um, great album if you haven't seen the videos for uh, the videos that they've been putting out I think the most recent one is for Made Alive Um, they're just solid dudes solid writing solid band Um, and then the album that comes out after that is by the band Ghost Ship it's led by Cam Huxford Cam's been around Mars Hill for a while and he's always been solid but man did he Uh, this album is so good um, I can't wait for everybody to hear it. Like cool. It's probably the one album I've been most excited about in a long time. It's just really good. Uh, Dustin Kensru has been tracking his record, and I know there's another one. I think uh, King's Kaleidoscope have been writing for a record that they're working on as well. So um, those will be the four records that come out this year. Um, full distribution, promotion. You'll be hearing a lot from Mars Hill Music in uh, 2013. That's awesome. 2013. Very cool, yeah,
0: yeah, you know i love I love the just what God's doing there, I and mean, you have this great move of God, church planning, disciples being made, and you have um i don't know you have, you have a soundtrack for it, I guess you could say, mm. and yeah. uh, that to me is really inspiring and I think one thing that I'm hoping to aim for in my own church and in my own town here in North Carolina is to really see songwriters come together and build community together whether that's co-writing or, or people writing songs and just coming together and, in, a, in the form of a, a band and working it out like you do or whatever. I, I love the idea of it kind of being the soundtrack to something bigger than just music. And mm-hmm. um, can you just speak to that? Maybe maybe just how would you encourage some folks who um, mm-hmm. worship pastors who may be just week in, week out, wanting to move beyond just you know leading a worship team every week in the same kind of maintenance mode way? How, mm-hmm. would, you, how would you encourage them?
1: I would start with the Great Commission. Honestly, like, I I think the part of the Great Commission that maybe, you know, like, Mars Hill's vision is the Great Commission. Make disciples plant churches. Um, The part that always, at least it seems to me, I I can't speak to this categorically, but it seems to me that always gets overlooked is the fact that Jesus says, and surely I will be with you to the end of the age. Like, Mm. he's with us as we join him in making disciples and planning churches. So Jesus wants to see disciples and he wants to see churches and he's with us. Um, And to, to really start making Jesus our vision, I mean, literally like taking, be thou my vision and living that out um, and start to start to work backward from there. All right, well, what do we, how do we work this out in our location? You know, like, uh, if I'm in Tulsa, what does this look like? Because I'm pretty sure Tulsa's going to look different than Seattle. Yeah. You know, and so, um, and, and start to, you know, like put everything on the table. Like there's no reason, there's nothing sacred about having a worship team, for instance. You know, like if you really want to reach your city, how do people in your city respond to music? And what kind of music are they responding to? Um, and is the music that you're playing in your church uh, the kind of thing that someone who was really familiar with the culture in your city but was not familiar with the culture of your church um, walked in like would they feel welcome would they understand would they speak the language would they they understand what's going on and so to really start asking those questions you know I, I think when you start to elevate the vision you also start To you, you get into the realm to where you can call people to that, and they're willing to sacrifice some of their their time and their comfort for it. So, whereas you know, we might start with the idea that, oh well, we need a worship team that has lots of rotating members because we don't want to burn anybody out. It's like, well, if people are energized with what you're doing, then burnout is kind of the last thing on their mind. You know, I mean, think back to when you were like 18 and you just wanted to like play music all the time you know why was that because it was really compelling and engaging so elevating the vision i think really helps you start working through what it might look like to change you know how you do if like if you're in a rut or if you're you know those kinds of things like really thinking through that all the forms that we employ those things are all tweakable nothing about them is sacred so um be creative you know look at those don't feel like you have to keep perpetuating them and and work towards uh you know really capture that vision of what it looks like to make disciples and plant churches in your city
0: excellent stuff joe thank you man so where can people find out about you about mars hill if they have just now in this in this little episode yeah they just now come across all this and it's all new to them Well, follow
1: Mars Hill Music on Twitter. We're at Mars Hill Music. Um, Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Joe Day. Uh, You can go to MarsHill.com forward slash music. Um, You can go to JoeDayMusic.com. Yeah, those are good places to start.
0: Excellent. Well, thanks again for being on the podcast today. God bless you, man. Thanks, Nate. It's good to talk to you, buddy. There is so much in that conversation that I could just take another forty minutes and just talk about, and I don't want to do that. So, um, as usual, just check out christianmusicblog dot com slash session seven, and that's the numeral seven. Um, and there I have um, in detail some notes that I've taken from the from the conversation that I had with Joe, and there was just a lot that I that I got out of that. Personally, I was super edified from that, and. And I'm probably going to go back and listen to this one a lot. So, um, but to pull out a few things, the whole issue of clarity over creativity, I think it's important that we think deeply about this because as artists, we get so into the art, we get so into the expression, we get so into doing um, whatever and the freedom to do whatever. And it is so vital that we have, that attitude that he mentioned, uh, that Paul has in 1 Corinthians, where he gives up his freedom for the sake of others. Right now, in this time, we are um, given a little bit of time right now before Christ comes back, before the end of all things comes. We are given this time to be on mission for Christ. And I I love how even we brought up the whole um, Great Commission, and that being the vision. And so, Clarity over creativity um, simply means we 're wanting to put jesus first we 're wanting to put Jesus at the top and uh, he 's even said don 't think less of creativity but rather employ it to clearly communicate jesus uh, and this doesn 't mean that we that we um, somehow make bad stuff; it just means that we are thinking mostly about what we 're communicating, and this really applies especially on the weekends like Sunday mornings or whenever your church meets Sunday nights for those of us who are in um, worship, quote-unquote, worship ministries. Also, Evernote. We talked about Evernote, and um, actually in the last session with Matt McCoy, session six, he even brought up the whole thing of letting life happen. And I think this is what makes Evernote so great. Um, I told you about ESM, Evernote Songwriting Method, which you can get for free. Uh, But you don't have to use that. It's not so much about the system or or even the app Evernote. For me, it's all about understanding the difference between ideas and inspiration versus creativity, craftsmanship, uh, the the vigorous, hard work of writing a song. Too often, we sit down and try to force both of those things together. And sometimes that happens, but most of the time it doesn't. (laughs) Because when you sit down, you're like waiting for that idea, that perfect idea or that perfect moment of inspiration to come and it doesn't quite feel like it's there. And then ironically enough, you're driving down the road or you're standing in the shower or you're cooking food in the kitchen or you're changing a baby's diaper. I don't know what you're doing, but you're doing something and all of a sudden there's this idea. It hits you like a ton of bricks and you're like, oh my gosh, I got to run to the keyboard. I got to run, get my uh, my, my." my my hand recorder thing or whatever, you know? And so Evernote solves this problem because if your phone's nearby, you can, you know, if you can hold off, you know, if you're in the shower, it's hard to have your phone in the shower. But if you can, if you can keep that idea in your head, don't let it go. And then you get to Evernote and just drop that idea in Evernote. It'll be there for you when you select a time to go and work. And I think um, that's what makes it so uh, invaluable for me because it's really taken the pressure off as a songwriter. Rather than trying to force myself to get inspired and to write songs, I know that if I do schedule a time to sit down and write, I have a lot of ideas waiting on me to work on. I don't have to work up inspiration. There are moments of inspiration that were already captured, that were already recorded. And lastly, the encouragement that he gave us in the Great Commission was huge. This is so important for us. Again, this this thing of clarity over creativity, it, it sort of ties to that because because Jesus has given us a mission as disciples, and for us as music makers as people of faith who are making music, it should really tie back to that and so for me, Christian music blog you know this is so much more than just um quote unquote christian music in fact there's this there's this article and I might link to it in the show notes I don't know yet <laughs> but um I, I plan to bring it up at some point if I don't bring it up in, in today's show notes, but there is this article online called Five Reasons to Kill Christian Music, and um, and I don't want to get into it right now, but it's a very provocative, very interesting blog post. And um, the point that I think—and I, I agree with a lot of it, honestly, but there's this one point in the first thing that, that where he says, writing a Christian quote-unquote Christian song reduces Christianity to a modifying adjective. In other words, it's just that 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 little label that somehow changes it all and um, and I understand what he's saying in this thing. Um, if you want to Google that, feel free five reasons to kill Christian music. but um, i I intentionally chose christianmusicblog.com because I want this to be about Christ. I want this to be about Jesus. You know we can get all um, we can split hairs over how to define Christian music, but for me, hearing Joe talk about the Great Commission talking about what the mission is, talking about being clear with what we're saying and what we're doing was just very um, confirming because um, that's what this is all about. And so I just want to leave you with that. So when you're making music, think about how it's going to affect the people that listen to it for the gospel's sake, for the glory of Jesus's sake. So this this isn't about just Sunday morning praise and worship. This isn't about the argument over what worship music is. This isn't about can you go play in bars or can you go play in coffee shops or does every song have to have the name Jesus in it? It's not about all that. Um, there's probably a place for that, having that conversation. But for me, it's really about Christ-centeredness in the whole the whole picture. At the end of the day, does your music, does your life through your music Does it point to Jesus and does it make him look great? So that's what I'm leaving you with on this little episode here. So, um, yeah, I was super inspired by that. The great commission is what it's really all about. And let that be your, your vision, elevate that vision. And, um, and even the people on your team, people in your band, the people you're writing songs with, whatever context you're in, people will sacrifice their time and comfort, as He put it. And, um, people will be energized with what you're doing because, um, because the vision is is compelling, you know, when you place that vision high. Okay, so that is it for this episode. Uh, make sure you visit christianmusicblog.com slash seven, where I have some links to um, some of the music that he mentioned that Mars is putting out. And um, also marcellcom slash music will allow you to see a ton of music that they've done, more than just four bands, but a lot of different stuff going on. And, uh, of course, his own stuff, JoeDayMusic.com. His album, Grace, is a real awesome album. I love it. JoeDayMusic.com. All right. Well, I hope you have a great week. I do plan to be back uh, next Friday. If you haven't noticed yet, these episodes are on Fridays. And um, I um, am going to be with you just myself, and I look forward to sharing some things from my heart with you about the future of this site, the future of CMB and um, why I'm super excited about making music through Eyes of Faith for the glory of the name of Jesus. So I hope to see you then. Until then, have a great, great week. Enjoy the spring weather, and I'll talk to you soon. Make sure you visit freemusicgift.com to pick up that gift, especially as a songwriter. I know you'll be blessed by ESM, the Evernote Songwriting Method, freemusicgift.com. Thank you for listening to the CMB Podcast. For more valuable content, including helpful articles and video, visit ChristianMusicBlog.com.